welcome to the Alabama Literacy Networks podcast, which is designed to share information and best practices for literacy in the state of Alabama. We hope to bring a wide variety of resources together to help school leaders, teachers, and parents so that all children read at high levels. We believe that literacy is a fundamental right that is tied to so many positive outcomes that we want for the citizens of Alabama. This podcast was brought to you by Bright Spot Ed, LLC, an educational consulting company based in Alabama, providing consulting, professional learning, evaluation services, and resources. Our goal is to highlight the good and replicate it across education. Check us out at brightspoted.com. I'm your host, Shelley Bell-Smith. Today, we will be talking to Dr. Heidi Bevering curry She is a co-founder and vice president of professional development for the Reading League, where she designs, supervises, and delivers educator learning opportunities. Before working for the Reading League full-time, Heidi spent 21 years working in public schools where she made use of her certifications in elementary education, K-12 special education, and K-12 reading education. When Heidi began her doctoral coursework in reading education in 2006, she became a champion for evidence-aligned literacy instruction and has led a number of successful reform efforts. Heidi was an adjunct professor at Syracuse University and SUNY Oswego, where she specialized in teaching clinical reading intervention coursework. Welcome, Heidi. Thank you for being here today. Thanks so much, Shelly. It's a pleasure and an honor to be here with you on the podcast. I met a great crew of literacy teachers from Alabama in our PD offerings and at conferences. There's a bunch of folks from Alabama that I interact with on Twitter. You've got a great little community budding there. Well, we are trying to grow it and really just spread the word. So I appreciate you lending us your brain and your voice. So can you start by telling us how you became introduced to the science of reading and how you became involved with the Reading League? Sure. Well, when I started my own teaching career, I started out in special education and then I moved into uh, fourth grade where I did an awful lot of reading work and classroom instruction. And I was using approaches that were very popular and that I had learned about and that I wasn't getting great results with. So what I found was that I would try harder to do this stuff, right? I would go see the top speakers. I'd buy more of their materials. <laughs> I, you know, I, I can't tell you the, the dollars and the hours spent just trying to get better at the thing that I thought was going to be the most effective because it was ubiquitous. It was everywhere. And I didn't know there was a science of reading. I I became so frustrated about kids not being able to read where I would expect them to be reading by the time they got to fourth grade. And these aren't just, you know, kids with IEPs. These are all kids. I was just finding that most kids really had a hard time. About 30% of the kids coming up were reading where I would expect a, a fourth grader to be reading. And I had a hard time knowing what to do because the things that I were doing just weren't working. So I decided to move on with my career and leave public school teaching and get a doctorate in reading education because I figured that's where all the answers must be. And I mean, yes and no, right? It's, It's very 
it's very possible to go through a doctoral program in reading education and not encounter the science of reading. So there are plenty of folks out there who wear the tag of reading expert who don't know much about the science of reading. And that's a problem, right? So I was lucky enough to stumble upon the science of reading when I took my very first course in the doc program with Dr. Benita Blackman called uh, The Cognitive Psychology of Reading. And I didn't know what I was getting into. And on the very first night, we had to go around the table and talk about how we understood reading to work. What, how, how does reading work? And I very confidently looked Benita Blackman, research scientist in the eye and gave her a lecture about the three queuing systems. <laughs> oh my. Yes. Yes. And I could kind of tell by the body language that it wasn't exactly the right thing, even though there was a big, you know, polite smile on her face. And then she just kind of said, okay, thank you. And, and next, and the person next to me, Maria Murray, who was not yet Dr. Maria Murray, right? She was toward the end of her doc work. I was at the beginning of mine. She went on and said, well, dual root theory tells us a blah, 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 blah. And I was like, what is she talking about? And I don't know that I really liked her that much. I think I had some bad feelings because that's one of the things that we do as humans, right? I'm starting to feel insecure. So I'm going to project those bad feelings onto this awful Murray and Murray sitting next to me, you know, <laughs> and then one of the sweetest, kindest people ever. That's right. And who is a sister to me. And we have been leading the charge with the reading league, you know, since its inception. Uh, she is a dear, dear friend. But you know, the, the first time we met, I remember having those feelings like, oh, who's she? <laughs> and then, then Dr. Blackman went on to Chris Munger, who said, well, the connectionist model posits a blah, 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 blah. <laughs> it's just, again, like, I don't like these people, <laughs> you know? And, and really what it was is I was starting to feel very insecure. I thought I was in over my head. I started feeling like I needed to sink underneath the table. I felt my face getting flushed and I kept it together for the class. But then I went home and I cried my face off. I was just telling my husband, oh my God, this is too hard. These people are too smart. I'm not smart enough. I, I, I was really questioning my decision to leave my job. I was feeling like I want to do over. I don't want to do this. I do over, change my mind give me my job back. I'm in over my head. Um, these people are using words I don't understand. None of this makes sense to me. And, you know, my husband was like, well, you know, we have an 18 month old baby and we made a lot of sacrifices to do this thing that you said you had to do. So it sure would be great if you could just buck up and go on back in there. And I was like, okay. And I did it. I did it. And it was really the, the, biggest intellectual endeavor that I've had to take on as well as emotional because I wasn't used to that level of content and rigor in coursework. And it wasn't easy. And at the same time that I'm learning all these new things, I have to let go of what I thought to be true. 
So there was this absolute grieving process that was really emotionally difficult for me. And I do encounter that around the country. And sometimes I get to work with schools in other countries. That's fun too. But, you know, in the U.S. in particular, it's a story that happens time and time again, is that when folks find out about the science of reading, there is kind of a grieving process. It, it can be tough to let go of the things that you worked so hard at, spent so much money on, believed to be true. You know, at the Reading League, we're really sensitive to that because many of us had been there. So, of course, throughout this class, I became very good friends with Dr. Maria Murray, and I never would have passed statistics without Chris Munger and the whole crew around the table. They're all in some way involved in the Reading League today in one way or another. So it was 2006. The Reading League didn't come around until 2015, 2016, in in terms of uh, conception and then its reality. We were all working in different places, in different roles, doing our full-time jobs and trying to make some headway and get some traction uh, with the science of reading wherever we were, whether we were speech and language people or psych people or professors. I went back to public schools. I was like, now I know all this stuff. I'm going back. I'm going to get this do over. So I went back to public schools for another nine years as a literacy coach. And, you know, I was trying to make some headway and it's it's very hard to get going. And and that's a story we hear over and over again, too, is that usually one person or a handful of people trying to get the science of reading going in a school. And that's tough when you're swimming upstream. Probably, you know, well, I know you've heard it, but the listeners have have likely heard the episode with Dr. Murray where she talks about how one day she it, it occurred to her after reading some of David Kilpatrick's Equipped for Reading Success book that we need to band together. Like she, you know, I know so many people that are trying to do this work and are just sort of spinning their wheels. So she sent out text messages and Facebook messages and said, who's in? And everybody said yes. Nobody said no to the reading league. And we all had a meeting at Panera and the rest is history. That's where the reading league was born. And we decided to start by giving free professional development on the second Thursday of every other month, either like in a bingo hall or a public library or in a school cafeteria. And that's how the reading league got started. And what we found is that we had really tapped into a need. Teachers and admins were showing up to these events that were two and a half hours long on a Thursday night after they taught all day. They weren't getting paid to be there. Nobody was telling them they had to be there. They kept coming back. So again, the rest is history. You know, we've grown from there. And as of 2019, I've been able to work full time with the Reading League as the vice president for professional development. Well, wow, what a story, first of all. (laughs) And I love the fact that your reaction to Maria Murray would have been exactly what mine would have been, which is, wow, she's so smart. I don't like her because it's going to make me feel insecure. And I I really think that that's something that I I did want to go back to because I do think that that's our human nature when faced with, okay, number one, I may be wrong. And number two, I'm intimidated. It's really easy for people to just turn away and not even try to learn it because it's so much easier to keep our self-image intact. Yeah. And, and not admit that we were wrong or that you know, we're vulnerable. Yeah, we always have more learning to do. Yeah, we always have more learning to do. And especially as adults working in the field of education, we we should especially understand the power of being always being open to new learning. 
Yes. We say that, but sometimes we don't necessarily live it or model it. So I love that you said that. So you really have designed and developed a wide variety of professional learning opportunities for teachers. What can you tell us about what's available through the Reading League? We have two main paths for professional learning at the Reading League. One is the online academy. And one is school-based professional development partnership. The online academy, it consists of content-specific courses that we call knowledge blocks. They're little two and a half hour chunks. And those are really for, we call them the lone wolves, like those teachers in schools that are just learning about the science of reading and want to learn more, or those teachers that are very nerdy and excited about the science of reading. Yes, you're raising your hand. Um, You know, reading nerd is the highest compliment you can get from me. So those reading nerd teachers that are doing a lot of self-directed learning on their own and want to learn more, the knowledge blocks are great for them. Um, It's not a great choice for whole schools. It's really about individuals. And so teaching the online academy piece is, is really fun because anybody can show up. Like I just got text from my colleague, Jessica, who is doing the online academy today. And she said that in her one session, she had people from Vermont, Maine, California, Connecticut, Michigan, Illinois, Australia, and China. Wow, (laughs) Australia and China. Yeah, isn't that fun? So you never know who's going to show up and it, it provides this great networking opportunity where folks can meet each other and these are not pre-recorded. These are not asynchronous. We don't record them. The each, each offering is very organic and has its own discussion based on whatever everyone brings to the table. So it's always different. It's always fun. We get really great feedback about the format. So you get those lone wolf teachers in there. You also get people who are just brand new and kind of want to sample the science of reading or even just sample what the reading league is all about. Uh, You get administrators or even school board members who are looking to learn a little bit more about the science of reading as the term, you know, swirls around the zeitgeist and even parents, parents who, who want to learn more show up at the online Academy sometimes. So that's fun. It's kind of a choose your own adventure. You pick the topics that you want to do and purchase each knowledge block separately. Our school-based professional development partnerships are for schools who are ready for a system-wide transformation. And this is, this is a long-term relationship. They can last three to five years, and then we can help with a maintenance plan beyond that. The first step is an administrator introduction day. And you can find the description of the administrator introduction day on our website under the professional development tab. In the administrator introduction day, we talk about what science of reading means and some of the biggest lessons that the science of reading has to offer us. We talk about the idea of transformative change versus additive change in schools. And we look at some data and share some success stories so folks can see what's achievable. I cannot overstate the administrative role in this work. Administrators are critical to the success of the transformation. So we want to get to administrators before we talk to anybody else and really 
really discuss how important their leadership is in making this all work and how important it is for admins to show up at the professional development and sit shoulder to shoulder with the staff and say, I have unfinished learning around this too. We're all in this together. You know, no, I'm not going to have my laptop open and be working on my master schedule. I'm not going to be running out in the hall every 30 seconds for a cell phone call. I'm here to do this work with you. I'm putting myself out there and saying, we all must learn together. So that's a huge piece. And I love that as a former elementary principal who went and sat in professional learning sessions with my teachers because I wanted to know. It was really essential for me to know what they were learning so I could support them and give them feedback. And people, a lot of times when I would sit down in a professional development session, they would just find it so weird that I was the principal in that session. But it's it's so key to actually getting the change up off the ground and maintaining it. 100%, Shelly. Absolutely. Yeah. So there are a lot of professional learning opportunities out there for teachers. Why is what the Reading League has different? Why are we different? Well, most PD is product or program focused, and it is provided by for-profit companies. You buy the thing, whatever the thing is, and the trainers teach you how to use the thing. At the Reading League, we're mission-driven. We're a not-for-profit organization whose mission is to advance the awareness, understanding, and use of the scientific evidence base in reading. So essentially, we're knowledge brokers. We pluck relevant findings from multiple domains of research, such as cognitive psychology, neuroscience, and we break it down into manageable, digestible chunks for educators to learn and to apply in their practice. And this helps them to make more informed, intentional decisions about the approaches they use and the materials that they purchase. And that's just, again, very different than what most people experience in learning because most of the learning, unfortunately, that is done with teachers is because we've bought a new textbook or a new intervention program. And we're going to have a couple of days of training to show you how to use it. And then that's it. With our school-based professional development partnerships, we want to look at data in this long-term relationship, right? We don't just say, here's the thing, here's how you use it, see you later. We want to look at baseline data. We want to talk to administrators and teachers about, you know, what that data is telling us over time, because we really want to make sure that this transformation is happening and that results are changing. We want to be impactful. That's so amazing. You've been involved in school reform for quite some time. What were you seeing in schools that led you to the science of reading as key to this reform? Well, as I started getting out into other schools, it became very clear very quickly that the predominant, most popular approaches to teaching reading in schools were not aligned with what the science of reading tells us. Of particular concern are approaches that involve teaching strategies that are grounded in their three queuing systems, which you know some folks are now calling multiple sources of information since three queuing systems is starting to be a dirty word now, right? So we want to get the stink off that term. Let's call it something else. You know, also concerned about guided reading along a leveled text gradient, using predictable books for early reading instruction, 
you know, those are some, some red flags that approaches are not aligned with the science. So just like me, folks in these schools hadn't had access to the science of reading. So they were doing the best with what they had and what they knew to be true. And because these kinds of materials and approaches were so heavily marketed and so visible in teachers' lounges, in teacher magazines and so forth, it seemed like they must be the best thing. So if we at the Reading League can make knowledge of the science of reading accessible to teachers and administrators, it empowers them to make better choices about literacy assessment and instruction, and then more students can achieve higher levels of literacy. That is the goal, of course. Absolutely. So the Reading League is now working with school districts to actually implement the science of reading. What does this work look like? Well, as I mentioned before, in our school-based PD partnerships, they begin with the administrator introduction day. The next step in the partnership is doing the teacher introduction day, where we cover the same content that we covered in the administrator introduction day, but the conversations are very different. The discussion is more focused on the role of the teacher in this work. And then we have a foundational skills and knowledge PD series. And from there, we customize the journey based on context-specific needs in each school and their culture of practice. In the central New York area, we offer the option of having a coach from the Reading League. We have Reading League coaches that we can embed in schools to help leverage that professional learning into classroom practice. So that's another uh, service that we offer that, that a number of schools locally take advantage of. And we're hoping to have some virtual coaching available in the future. That sounds pretty uh, enticing. So tell us about the kind of results that you're seeing and what you're learning from doing this work right now. So when we build our knowledge and we change our practice, we're going to see different results, right? So teachers and administrators start to get excited and feel empowered when they take that growing professional knowledge, put it into practice and see those positive results in front of them. They can see it right there in the moment in their in their lessons. And also they can see it when they start looking at their data. So we're learning that folks want this knowledge and keep coming back for more because they feel better about their teaching. So for some folks, you know, that grieving process that I talked about, sometimes they're over it in a couple of minutes. They're like, oh, geez, this is uncomfortable. Uh, All right. All right. What do I need to do? How do we move forward? You know, and it's over Um, for some folks. It could take years. I know somebody named Jennifer, it took two years for her to get her heels out of the mud, right? But when she did, she was like, I wish that I had come along sooner because I don't have to work as hard and I get better results, right? So that teachers work incredibly, incredibly hard. And if they're using the science of reading as their guide, the results will match the amount of work they're doing better than what they may have seen before if they were using something else other than the science as their guide. So yeah, what we're finding is even though sometimes it can be uncomfortable to get over the hump, once they do, there's a lot of excitement and feelings of empowerment and accomplishment when this knowledge gets leveraged in practice. Well, it all goes to feeling like we have some efficacy. Yeah. Well, that's what we're there for. 
right? We didn't become teachers to not have positive results. So it feels really good. We feel really good about our teaching and we're more motivated to to keep going. Um, We've had teachers who were approaching retirement who have said, well, now that I know this, I'm not going to retire just yet because I want to do a couple more years and see where this really gets me. You know, that's happened on more than one occasion in schools that we've worked in. So that's kind of the ultimate compliment. And almost not a cure for burnout, but for a lot of people, it does go back and soothe some of those burnout places maybe in their soul because they've got a new life and they want to change kids' lives for the better. And that that just goes a long way, I think. Yeah, exactly, Shelly. Yep. So what does it really take to achieve transformative change? Because that's what you're really talking about. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, it takes a lot. It takes time. It takes years. It takes real commitment to rigorous professional learning and then the work of churning that into classroom practice. So it takes stamina. You know, you can boil it down to a few essential elements, but I don't want it to sound like a checklist and then it's done because it's not a checklist. It's very spiral and recursive and, you know, we can never really stop. We always have to sort of keep our foot on the gas. We can't get complacent because then, you know, we start to backslide. So to, to get there, what it really takes first and foremost is knowledge building for everyone, including those administrators, right? You know, again, I can never overstate the, the importance of admins being front and center for this work. It takes some uncomfortable conversations sometimes. Sometimes we have to have tough conversations. It takes a look in the mirror, you know, we have, and I guess that could go along with uncomfortable conversations, but as we learn chunk by chunk, you know, what the research has to say about different areas of reading, we have to be able to hold up what it is we're doing now and say, how does this look compared to what the research says? And then we have to have a now what, you know, now what, what are we going to do about it? And that, that really guides our change over time to have that, you know, deeper structural change that's going to be longer lasting than an additive change where we just dump something on top of what we're already doing. That's not what the science of reading is about, right? It's a fundamental shift in our understanding of how reading works that has a domino effect from knowledge building to changes in practice to to student achievement. And the acknowledgement that we're never done. We always have more to learn, no matter how good we get at it, we right. can always get better. Right. That work is never done. You know, we start to, sometimes we start to see that data climb. And, you know, so maybe if we're looking at oral reading fluency, you know, a, a lot of schools ha- tend to have, you know, if they're not working in line with the science of reading, we'll see, you know, maybe 30 to 60% of kids hitting, you know, those, those oral reading fluency proficiency targets. <laughs> when, when we make a, a jump for like another 10%, we want to make sure we put our foot on the gas harder, right? We don't want to lift our foot off of the gas because then it just opens the door for backslide really easily. You know, it's kind of like, I really like pizza and ice cream. And so when I decide I'm going to lose a few pounds, the pizza and ice cream has to go. And then I get on the scale and I say, oh, I'm doing great. I'm going to celebrate by eating some pizza and ice cream. You know, it's kind of that same idea. Like, and we have to hold each other accountable for it. 
You know, you have just like you want that friend who will slap that slice of pizza out of your hand. You want that colleague that will slap that teacher's pay teacher's worksheet out of your hand. that has nothing to do with the science of reading. (laughs) Oh, you are my kind of girl. Pizza and ice cream. That is exactly what we all have to choose from every day is the things that aren't good for us and aren't good for kids. And we sometimes have to make hard choices. But in the end, we like what the scale tells us a whole lot better. So Heidi, thank you so much for being with me today. You've just been delightful to talk to. And I appreciate so much what you're doing for our profession and for teachers and children and the families. Well, this has been lovely. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, It's been delightful. And uh, thank you for making this podcast available, putting your work into it and making it available for all the teachers, not just Alabama teachers, but all the teachers who and administrators who are, are working hard to learn more and to do better. Absolutely. Join us again for the next episode of the Alabama Literacy Networks podcast.